Let's pray together. Father, I ask for your help now. And that one of the effects of the 10,000 of this moment would be that several hundred who have come to this conference would have the direction of their lives changed so that they devote the rest of their lives vocationally, opening their mouths among the least reached peoples of the world. And I pray that the rest would be so thrilled with this divine enterprise that they would live their lives in support of it and celebration of it until you come or until you call. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. The creator of the universe who holds everything in being from galaxies to every grain of sand and who governs every detail of your life and the fall of nations and the fall of every bird that dies, Jesus said, that God has purpose from all eternity that he would fulfill his enemy reconciling and worshiper creating purposes through your mouth. So listen to Paul's expression of that truth. This is uh, 2 Corinthians 5.20. We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So think of it. The creator of the universe, there's he, there's Christ who provides the basis and foundation by his death for sins and his triumph over death, and then there's your mouth. And when you open your mouth and say to a friend or a nation, be reconciled to God in Jesus' name, <coughs> God is speaking. God is making his appeal through you. That is amazing. So you take your Christ, you take your treasure, you take his magnificent salvation, and you open your mouth, and wonder of wonders, God makes his appeal through you. Be reconciled to God. That's how we make disciples of all nations. That's how the Great Commission will be finished on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. When you say that, you are the voice of God. Now, don't try to escape this by saying, that, was, that word was for the apostles. Listen to Peter. This is 1 Peter 2, 9. This is you, Christian. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
a people of God's own possession, that you, Christian, may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are the voice of the excellencies of God. That's who you are. This is not a missionary calling. This is a Christian identity. You own it or you're not a Christian. So my prayer in this message, indeed this day, this conference with its global theme, is that God would, across this several thousand, redirect <clears throat> your lives from what you're doing or from the muddle that you're in. We just redirect your lives so that you spend the rest of your life opening your mouth among the unreached peoples of the world. That's my prayer. Several hundred. God will make it plain. And the rest of you will be so thrilled by this divine enterprise that you spend the rest of your lives celebrating it and supporting it. And it'll get done. So what could I do right now for the next 20 minutes or so to be a means of God doing that in this room? What could I do? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to show you from the Gospel of John how God will use your mouth to create worshipers of the true God among the nations. Because I think if you saw how he does it, you might be inclined to join him in it. So let's start with John 4.23. Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman at the well of Jacob, and she has just said to him, we Samaritans, we worship on Mount Gerizim, and you Jews, you worship in Jerusalem, to which now Jesus responds in verse 23 of chapter 4, the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship God, the Father, in spirit and truth, because, this is why that's going to happen, because the Father is seeking such people to worship him. So the reason there will be true worship on Mount Gerizim or Mount Zion or any other mountain in the world or any other valley in the room, in the world, or any other place. The reason any worship will happen is because God is seeking worshipers. That's how it happens. God seeks worshipers. Now, he's not seeking them like an Easter egg hunt, like children who don't know where the eggs are. He is seeking them because they are his. And he means to have them. He knows exactly where they are. And he intends to have their wholehearted, happy, eternal worship for himself. So listen to this 
absolutely crucial verse from the mouth of Jesus in John 17, verse 6. He's praying to his father, I have manifested your name to the people, father, that you gave me out of the world. Yours they were. And you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. That's who the Father is seeking. The Father is seeking worshipers from all the nations because they're his now. And he means to have them. Yours they were. God chose them, Paul said, Ephesians 1.4. God chose them before the foundation of the world. Now, how does he do that? How does God go about this seeking of his own? So they're yours, Father, from all eternity. And one day there's going to be a consummate number from every tribe and tongue and people and nation at the consummation of history. And between those two are your mouth. That's how he does it. Your mouth connects that divine purpose and possession and the consummation of history when it is done and they are gathered in. Now, to answer the question, how do you do that, God? How do you, how do you move from that eternal purpose to that consummation of all the nations with the mouth of your people in the middle, how do you do that? Now to explain how he does it from the Gospel of John, there's more than one way to explain it, but we're going with the Gospel of John. We need to explain the relationship between worshiping, that's whom God is seeking, worshipers, and believing. What's the connection between worshiping and believing? And the reason that is pressed on me is because on the one hand, in chapter 4, verse 23, God is seeking worshipers. And on the other hand, this entire book of John, according to chapter 20, verse 31, is written to create belief. Why, why, why worship? Why belief or believing? John 20, 31, these are written. Everything I wrote in this book is that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you would have life in his name. So what's the relationship between what he's seeking, worship, and what this book is written to bring about, believing. What's the relationship? Are they the same? Do they overlap? Does one follow the other? So here's my condensed answer. Very condensed. Starts with a stunning fact. <laughs> I can never get over this fact. My wife, 
had a textbook in college called John, the Gospel of Belief. Do you know that John never uses the word belief, ever, or faith, never. <laughs> That's a noun. He uses the verb believe 98 times. I mean, Paul uses the noun 142 times and uses the verb 54 times. What's up, John? This cannot be an accident. Never. What's going on, John? I swear we got we to figure that out in order to understand the relationship between worshiping and believing. I think the explanation is that John wants to emphasize for us that believing is an action, not of the body. So get that out of your mind entirely. It's not this, it's not this. Bodily actions are the effects of believing. They're not believing. Believing is an act of the soul or the heart. So the actions of the body, whether you're playing an instrument, piano, singing, are the effects of believing. What the heart does is believing. That doing here, that's believing. What is it? That question has to be answered. Well, we start with John 1.11. You heard it from Blair. John 1.11, Jesus came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all did, who did receive him, who believed, so receiving him and believing him are appositives. Remember that grammatical term? The same. But to all who did receive him, comma, who believed in his name, comma, he gave the right to become the children of God. Believing in John's gospel is receiving Christ. I receive you. I welcome you. I embrace you. I have you. As what? A ticket out of hell, stick it in your back pocket, sit on it for 60 years, never think about it. And I don't think so. A wonder worker to keep my wife alive, keep my kids believing. And if you don't, you're a failure. Think that's what believing is, that kind of accepting, receiving, ticket, wonder worker. It won't do just to say believing is receiving Christ. You gotta say, as what? Here's Jesus' answer in the Gospel of John. There, there's more than one answer to that question. I mean, you're thinking, Savior! The devil knows he's a Savior. Lord! The devil knows he's Lord. 
It's not the way John goes. Here's the way John goes. This is John 6, 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me, believes in me, shall never thirst. So how would you define believing from John 6.35? Believing in John's gospel is the soul's eating and drinking all that God is for us in Christ. With the discovery that as you eat and as you drink, this is receiving what he is, food, water for my soul, and as you believe, receive, you discover my quest is over. It's over. This is all I've ever dreamed of. This is all I ever need. He is my satisfaction. He is my treasure. That's believing. You are a believer. Uh, hope. You eat. You get up in the morning and you eat and you drink to your soul's satisfaction so that you can enter your day full of Christ. That's believing. My quest is over. So the essence of believing in the Gospel of John is to drink him, eat him with the soul spiritually so that we find the thirst and the hunger of our souls satisfied because he is so precious, so valuable. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, if that's believing in the Gospel of John, what about worship? How are we going to get at this idea of worship? I'm going to go outside John for an important statement about the distinction between the acts of the body in worship and the act of the soul in worship. Jesus said, this is Matthew 15, 8 and 9, this people honors me, worships me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain, that, that word vain means zero, nothing, empty. In vain do they worship me, which means it's not worship. Teaching his doctrines, the commandment of men. So the action of the mouth, what I'm doing right now, might or might not be worship. Now, I love to define preaching as expository exaltation. And if the preacher's not exalting in the glory of what he's seeing, he's not worshiping. So what's the heart that the heart of worship, soul, that turns the actions of the voice and the hands, whether on the keyboard or in the air, what's the action of the soul that turns the actions of the hands and the mouth into worship? 
Well, Jesus gave us a clue, I think, right there in the middle of that verse of Matthew 15, a spatial image, a spatial explanation. He said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far, is far from me. What does that mean? What does that spatial image mean? Here's, here's God, and here's my heart moving away. What is that? I mean, describe that happening in your heart. Here's my attempt. It means that as, you, as your heart is moving away far, God is becoming less desirable. It's not interesting or offensive, cruel, don't like the way you treated my family, unreal, mythological, legendary, negligible, marginal, forgotten. My emotional, my affectional life has just gone another direction. I'm finding other things more desirable. I think that's what he means by far. So we're not saying anymore. We used to say, we're not saying anymore, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. We don't taste. We don't have any taste from at all. Our taste has gone after other things. You can't serve God and anything. You have taste for God or you don't have God. So where God is not satisfying us, then worship is not glorifying God. It's vain, it's empty, it's not worship. So in the end, you can see where I'm going. In the end, when you have penetrated to the essence of believing and the essence of worshiping, you have arrived at the same place. In John's gospel, the essence of believing and the essence of worshiping are the same. The Father is seeking, in John 4, 23, the Father is seeking and John, in writing, it says, is seeking, and the one is seeking worshipers, and the other seeking those who believe. Believing is more than drinking. Believing is more than eating. It's just not less. If you're sitting there feeling like, no, you should say something about trust in the promises. Yielding to the Lordship. Amen. It's just not what I'm talking about. I'm getting at another dimension of the core, which John cares a lot about. And by neglect, we can convince ourselves we're Christians when we're not. So, how does God move from, I have a people from all eternity, they are yours to the end of history, consummated from every tribe and tongue and people and language with your mouth in the middle. How does he do that? 
I think the answer is found in the most important, this is a controversial statement, but I'll say it, the most important missionary text in the Gospel of John. John 10, 16. It goes like this. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. That's the thunderclap of the voice of Jesus against every whiff of ethnocentrism, every whiff of nationalism that exalts in earthly citizenship, any earthly citizenship above the citizenship in heaven. Just when you think that you have settled in comfortably with my people, my church, my denomination, my ethnicity, my nation, Jesus' voice thunders, I have other people. They're not of your fold. They're not of your ethnic fold. They're not of your church fold. They're not of your denomination fold. They're not of your national fold. They're not of your Christian fold yet. I have them. They're out there. I will speak my voice through your voice, and they will hear my voice in your voice, and they will come to me, and they will drink and eat and have life and will worship forever. Now here's the link back to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well. Do you remember, no you don't because it's not prominent, that at the beginning of chapter four when this amazing encounter with this woman is being introduced, Jesus says, or John says, he had to go through Samaria. No, he didn't have to go through Samaria, geographically, right? No Jew goes through Samaria. They go around Samaria. Chapter 9 of verse 4 says Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So when John said he had to, it's the same as that word must. It is in Greek the exact same word as the word must in John 10, 16. I have other people that are not of this fold, other sheep that are not of this fold. I must find them. I must bring them. I must create worshipers out of them, believers. That's what I'm doing. I must. I will. It's my divine calling. He had to go through Samaria. That's the divine had to, not a geographic had to. And the reason he had to is because she was there. And God had her. They were mine. And God intended to have her as a worshiper, and his son was here to speak, and now you're here to speak. And by speaking, she would be found. What did he say to her? This five times married woman living with lover number six. 
and not a likely candidate for your evangelism. Here's what he said in John 4, 13. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a, a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This is what God is calling some of you to do, to go through Samaria. They didn't want Jews in Samaria. Jews were about as welcome in Samaria as Americans in Pakistan. And he went. And several hundred of you will go. She was there. She was chosen. She was a sheep, not of this fold. I must bring them also. They will hear my voice. And they will come and they will believe and they will drink and they will be satisfied and worship me forever. So someday, you, you don't yet know who you are, but I'll just say you anyway. Someday you will be sitting by a well in a very inhospitable place and you'll be praying and she'll come or he'll come. And out of your mouth will come these words, ma'am, sir, I have water that if you were to drink it, you'd never be thirsty again. And the sheep will hear the voice of the shepherd in your voice. And they will believe. They will believe. We close with an illustration from missions. Peter Cameron Scott was the founder of uh, Africa Inland Mission. And he was uh, born in 1867, and he went to Africa seeking to obey the Lord and, and minister there. And he got malaria and had to come home, deeply discouraged, renewed hope, goes back, this time happily with his brother John, Peter and John, amazing, going to Africa. And John is stricken and dies. And Peter buries him alone. How many times has that happened on the mission field? He buries him and rededicates himself to the Lord at the grave of his brother, and God strikes him with malaria again. That's discouraging. Goes back to England thinking, I don't know what to make of God's providence in my life. And in a moment of hope, he went to Westminster Abbey. I wonder if you've been there and seen it. And he found the grave of David Livingstone in Westminster Abbey. And he knelt down in front of it and read the inscription. I have other people that are not of this fold. I must bring them. He stood up 
He went back, and for 128 years, Africa Inland Mission has blessed millions. It may take, it may take that many heartbreaks to be fruitful. So she's out there, he's out there, and God in this room right now, or watching online, will move several hundred of you to say, okay, if that's the way he does it, I can open my mouth and point people to the water. So Father, come. Do this work. There's a lot of people in this room didn't know why they came here. A lot of young teenagers just came along. A lot of 60-somethings who ought to change the direction of their lives for the next 10 or 15 years because they've tasted that the Lord is good and their hearts are brimming with belief and with worship. Would you spill over, Lord, from these friends onto the nations? Make this conference in the next hours and days effective to that end, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.